What's up, Drew? Hey. <laughs> Welcome to How College Works. Today we have a guest. Guest, would you please introduce yourself? I am. I'm happy to be here. My name is Joellen Lidner, and I'm from South Dakota. Excellent. Sweet. So today we'll be talking about South Dakota. No, wait. That's not. Our, that's not. No, our you want to talk about college and right. enrollment stuff, and that's my expertise is working in enrollment. So, what is your position title? Well, um, it's it has a lot of variations. Um, for me, right now, I'm interim vice president for enrollment management, and basically, that's the person that oversees admissions at a college and financial aid. So I've done that. Um, I've done recruitment piece. So really, it's it's recruiting students to come to college, and that's the area that I oversee. That's great. I think we're done now. <laughs> <laughs> so you're sort of the flip side of like a counselor at a, at a not not like the counselor counselor, but the one who's all like applying for college counselor. Oh, the person who keeps your transcripts. Yeah, kind of. You know, it's it's working with the staff that goes out to high schools, to college fairs, uh, working with juniors and seniors in high school, helping them through the process. Especially if you've never been through a college admission process, and certainly the financial aid process, it can be really intimidating. So what I do is oversee the staff, help them uh, train working with the families, the because the parents a lot of times are the really influential decision makers mm -hmm. for the student. So it's really getting to know the student. Um, it, it's really tempting for whatever college that you might work for to want to tell your story, right? Give that elevator pitch. Uh, everybody wants to talk about what's great about their school. But not only do we do that, but we really try to train our staff to listen to the student, find out what the student needs. So that's what we do in our office, is really get to know the student and find out where, what else are they looking at as far as colleges, what major they may be interested in. A lot of students aren't sure what they want to major in, and that's okay, you know? Uh, think about it, when you were 16, 17 years old, did you really know what you wanted to do for the rest of your life? You might have had some idea. We're the wrong two to ask. Yeah, you two, you two probably were this pretty This guy over focused. here, though, he didn't know what he was doing. Yeah, you were more normal. Over. Yeah. yeah. I think I marked forestry on one of the uh, surveys. Ooh, you should have oh. done that. That's really awesome. Yeah, you know, it's so it just kind of depends. So really, we're that person that's outside of the, the teacher realm or the counselor realm and get to re build that relationship with the student and, and really help match the student's wants and needs with the college admission mm. process. Because if they're looking for a, a big school with 20,000 students in a big metro area, um, then maybe a smaller school isn't their fit. But right. if they come from a smaller to medium-sized high school and the environment that they're comfortable in is small, then it's helping them on, help them see and understand that that's okay. That's what a college maybe will be the right fit for them as well. So it, it's really kind of being that, I want to say friend, but it is kind of that, that friend that helps them guide guide them through the process. Hmm. Like an insider. Kind of, yeah. yeah. Sure. Excellent. So that's sort of the over overview of like, so managing that position. So on a like average day, mm -hmm. And I'm pretty sure everyone we've had who's come in is all like, every day is different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, a representative day. Sure. Like, what, is, what is it that you are doing? Generating applications. 
meeting application goals because the more you think of it as a funnel, the more applications and student interest, inquiries, prospects that you have at that top of the funnel, as they work their way through the system, either self-selecting or uh, being denied admission, let's say if they're looking at a, at a variety of colleges and they don't meet the, the criterion or a school that might be competitive admission, um, the more you have in that funnel, as those begin to dwindle down, your goal ultimately is to reach that enrollment goal. So a typical day is meeting with the staff, um, seeing how it's going. You know, are you how are you making your phone calls? What are you talking about? You should always have a purpose for calling, whether that certain time of year is financial aid, maybe it's a registration call, maybe it's getting a deposit in, do you have your housing information in? Um, typically when you call a student, you say, do you have any questions? A lot of times they'll say, no, <laughs> and there's crickets on the phone. So again, it's really trying to help them think about what are those questions. So a typical day is really going through each of our students and seeing where they're at in the process or in that funnel. Are they missing transcripts? Sometimes it's a matter of us calling the high school and, and helping that along. Uh, have they taken an ACT or an SAT? How's that going? Um, all of those things. Sometimes it's just checking in and saying, how's the school year going? Last time we talked, you were really stressing out about a science test. How did that go? So um, it's just really connecting with the students. And in my typical day is making sure that they are staying on top of it. Don't let anybody fall through the cracks. Do we need to start involving faculty and other staff, perhaps, to make those phone calls and interface with the students? So that's really the typical day. I, I liken it to a, a very high level of customer service. Okay. And I know with students, sometimes you don't want to say that they're customers, but they are. I mean, that's the that's really the the analogy that they think about. You know, today they are a very commercially driven world, uh, but education is really a, a transactional thing. You know, it's what they get out of it is what they put into it. So they're not just a customer. But if I have to, for the average listener, say what is it like? It's a high level of customer service, making sure that we're giving them the information they need to make an informed decision. So when you say having a purpose for the call, you mean something a little bit more focused than come to our school. Exactly. <laughs> hey, are you going to come here? Sure, because <laughs> we know probably 20 other schools that, that they have on their list are doing the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. So it's really trying to set them apart, knowing as much information or intel as we can about that student. Not only their personality, but um, what are what's who is going to be influential in that decision? Is it a parent? Is it a sibling? Is it a teacher? Uh, do we have the major that they're looking at? Is cost going to be mm -hmm. an issue for them? The more you know, the more you can frame those conversations and have meaningful dialogue with the student rather than we do all the talking. It's really listening to them and finding out. Uh, what is going to motivate them to either apply, motivate them to pay a deposit, motivate them to visit. And really the campus visit, mm -hmm. again, Peter, if you asked me the question, what are we trying to do every day? It's trying to get as many students as we can is to visit the campus because a campus visit is so important. Everyone can look great on brochures and on websites because they're professionally done or student uh, filtered perhaps, but until a student actually visits a campus and gets a feel for the people they're going to interact with. We encourage people to sit in on classes at the schools that you're visiting. Eat in the cafeteria. Uh, see where you have to park. How far is, you know, <laughs> kind of figure out a schedule. 
Um, if you're if you're not used to in a big city perhaps to get from one class to the other, you have to take public transportation. Let's say. Um, it's the eighty in UW Madison is the bus you want to take. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so all those things to experience it, helping the student visualize themselves where they're they're looking at going. I like to tell staff, facts tell, emotions sell. Wow. And think about your own life, your own decision-making process. Totally logical. Yeah, I mean, oh, sure. <laughs> so, yeah, the scientist in it. But think about it. When you're thinking about making a major purchase, and particularly if it's something that maybe is um, what you would perceive as beyond your means, you may go in and say, you know, how did this make me feel? I bought this car because it made me feel X. Or I bought this house because I could picture myself here. Mm -hmm. A college is no different. Mm -hmm. A student has to be able to see themselves walking around campus going, yeah, I, I could see myself here. So you really see the job as providing a service guiding our potential students into making... Do you see it as making the choice to come here, or do you see it as making the choice which is the best fit for them? Or It's both. Okay. You know, it's both, and that can be a struggle sometimes at schools that are very driven by enrollment, and there's no school in the country, you know, that isn't somehow driven by enrollment in some way, shape, or form. It's just to the degree by which you're, you're going after that. But I'd say it's a little bit of both, because part of our job, too, is to make sure that it is a good fit. And so that student, if we've provided all the information and answered their questions and helped them as much as we can, and they still decide perhaps this isn't the right fit for them, we've done our job as well. Because if the service that we've provided is, is good, uh, outstanding as a matter of fact, you'll have students that say, you know, maybe I didn't make, they'll maybe go somewhere and then realize they maybe didn't make the right choice yeah. and want to transfer. We hope that we're top of mind, yeah. right? Because the student will say, Oh, you know, they were really nice to me, but it just, it didn't have the major or all my friends were going somewhere else. And that's an influential age where sometimes that peer pressure mm -hmm. will give in unless they're really uh, independent and want to do something very different and very strong. So it, it's a little bit of both because it can backfire on you if you are just driven to make promises and bring students into institutions where they do not fit mm. and then they right. leave. And that affects your graduation rate, it affects your retention rate, and then we're out recruiting seven more students because there's a formula out there that says for every student you perhaps lose in that first to second year, you have to go recruit seven more because of what it costs to recruit students. So that is why it's so important that fit is determined as soon as possible, mm -hmm. that the mm -hmm. student really can experience life on the campus that they're looking at and picture themselves there. So one of the questions that we usually ask is, are there interactions that students have with you which are a bit of a faux pas or a bit of a, like, they don't understand what you do when they're asking for things which are unreasonable? Since you primarily are dealing with students who are, are prospective students, not actual students, is it possible for them to have a faux pas? Or is anything they do, like, or interaction fair game, like... You know, I guess anything is probably fair game because not everything is in our control. <laughs> For example, a uh, student tour guide. Mm -hmm. And we expect them to be honest because we don't want, again, misleading. You always want to be honest and give good information. 
but that's why knowing the student is so important because a student might ask a, another student a question or a faculty member a question and the, it gets answered but maybe the student had already formed an idea in their mind for example um, is your school a party school and a student a current student might say because they are not so say a party or whatever that definition is um, oh no no never not at all where the next student might say because they like it yeah it's awesome golly you know there's parties every night and there's whatever <laughs> you know yeah. I, have, I have a niece who is in a school right now um, and she likes it there but she said next year I know better I need to ask for a quiet hall because there there are literally parties every night and on her tour, I don't think they thought necessarily to ask that because she was focused on a different aspect of it. But sometimes, if, if that's what you're asking me, sometimes those things can happen and it's like, you know, I didn't know that coming to a particular institution, whether it's party, whether it's size, whether it's the community's offerings. So it is really important that we give good information, but if the student doesn't always ask certain things, we may not know to, to, to give them that information. We certainly don't intentionally hide things, and so that's why it's really important to find out from them what is important to you, size of community, size of campus, size of classes, all of that, yeah. So Drew, I wanted to ask if there's, so I had said that, that Joellen seems to be a parallel to like the counselors for, for college. Is that am I, am I at all true, or, or, or does it work any differently from, you know, what Joellen has, tell, has told us. Right. Yeah, I, I think that her job sounds like it's definitely tailored to that specific college or university and the, the counselors and, and uh, like the high school counselors uh, do that as well. And also we have a college and career center at our schools here and I'm sure a lot of high schools have the same type of thing where there's a, a representative, we have a partnership with um, the UC system so being in California, it, it, all the state schools are the, the same um, system, you know. So we have a little partnership with them, and they send a staff member from, uh, you know, wherever, which one of the UCs, a lot of times it's from Berkeley. And they, like, they're, it's part of their, it's one of their credits, one of their class credits to come and spend certain hours uh, available to the high school students and, and or, you know, Berkeley or UC Davis or wherever, but also for other universities as well and show the different online resources for looking for colleges. It's, it, is, it sounds like it's the same, same job on the other side of the coin of, of finding the match for the student of the campus that's the right fit for not just financially, but major and also size of campus and all of the things that I think about when I was in, in high school about how big is the campus and does that make a difference? And, um, you know, and I didn't think about, I guess I was lucky, I was not thinking about does it, does it cost the right amount of money and all those things. So it, it, the, the, there's a team of people and like that is our kind of our MO in, in high school and public K-12 is to get people to the finish line but also get them to the starting line at college uh, with a successful pick. Hmm. Yeah, so it sounds like there's that group of counselors is trying to understand the student and, you know, funnel them up to the right 
applications. Well, Joellen, you're trying to take students who are so coming in and then you know, funneling them, still helping to funnel them again to the right institution. Right, yeah, and, and he's absolutely right. It's, it's helping the student, guide the student. Um, a lot of times they don't think about cost, but if, they, if you really start having a conversation with them, um, you know that that's something that has probably been talked about in their household, even though they maybe haven't directly been paying attention. You know, what we've, we try to do uh, too, and some people agree with this and, and some don't, but this is my thought. You talk about cost, you must talk about cost, you must have that conversation because that can be one of those faux pas if you don't. But I think you talk about that, at least on the campus visit, last or near the last because if a student is only focused on the cost, they're gonna miss the forest through the trees. So if they really have their hearts set on a particular school or a particular major, you want to show them everything there is to show them so that when you do have to talk about cost with them or their family, it becomes, we'll do what we can. You know, This looks like the right fit. This is worth it to us. We wanna make this work. But for some people, when you just say, here's the ticket price without all the financial aid and without all the scholarships and things that are deducted from a bottom line sticker price, a family could easily look at that and say, oh my goodness, you know, why did we even come here? Mm -hmm. And that's the only thing on their mind through the whole visit. And it, it's unfortunate because then it's something is lost in the translation. So we really try to show them all the benefits first and now let's talk about how we can make this work for you financially. So that brings up something which I don't think we actually talked about when we talked to financial aid, but since you are working on sort of the front lines of this, you probably know, what is the, for our students, what is the average percent markdown? Um, the last I saw our discount rate. Right, the, the, yep. the technical kind of yep. discount rate. Yeah, the average discount rate was about 42%. Oh. Which means That's our good. students are paying, what is that, 58% uh, of that sticker price. Right, and, and that's, an, that's an average. Now the other side of that is, um, and I haven't seen the latest debt, but our debt ratio too is the students are leaving with very low debt, right. you know, basic to, to get a bachelor's degree. So um, you have to kind of look at both things. Now for some schools, 42% might sound like a lot. I know there's schools out there that are at in the 60s, the upper 60s. Wow. Some are even this in 70%. Now you can have 100% discount rate at an institution if you have a funding source. Right. 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 So, so if you have a full ride scholarship, your discount rate is 100%. You're not paying a dime for that. Correct. So, you know, let's say you have an endowment that can fund all your scholarships to 100%. So at, even at 42%, if we have a lot of this of that 42% that are coming from funding sources and not the operations of an institution, you can manage that it becomes a little bit of a scary proposition for institutions, especially small ones, when you start having that 50 to 60 to 70% discount rate and you're, you're pulling out of your own bottom line to do it. It's not coming from endowment or scholarship. But our, our most recent was just around 42%. Mm -hmm. The sticker shock less <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does, you know, and, and really looking at um, the whole picture, you know, the where you live and um, the federal government allows financial aid directors to have a, a 
prescribed budget for living on or off campus. So that's not just your tuition and fees and students are getting more creative in how they purchase books. Mm, yes. You know, so so that bottom line anymore of just well, figure on $1200 for books, let's say. Uh, students are pretty smart. They don't they aren't they're going to do that anymore. So, but but the but the government still gives you kind of a parameter on what you can figure in for expenses, supplies and things like that. But students do get very creative um, on that side. So, Drew, I'm going to pull you in here a little bit. Okay. Are you, I mean, are you aware of common misconceptions about what this process looks like for high school students? After applying, you mean? Yeah. Or maybe just or the process. The entire process, like, of even applying, if you want to include that. Well, I think, again, so in California, I don't know how normal that is compared to the rest of the country where there's a couple other states that have the same kind of university system like California <clears throat> they, um, the dates that juniors have to hit are pretty well publicized they, you know they have to take whatever test and they have to get such and such numbers sent to the school by whatever date and it almost doesn't matter where you're going because the state schools you see in, in California state universities all have a co one common application that you fill out doesn't matter where you're going and there's some certain specific things to each site, but then the deadlines are all the same. The uh, early decision is all the same. The, you know, so many things are common that it's easy for a high school counselor, even with 500 kids on their, you know, caseload, to um, put that on on a, a bulletin board and on the morning announcements and on emails to everybody and back to school night and here's the dates you need to remember um, and. Everybody knows from their older older siblings going through high school, yeah, I remember my sister had to get this in by March 1st or whatever. And so it's the students going to private universities or out of state that still need to know those dates. Um, and a lot of times they're uh, similar or you know, just knowing the difference between a, an application deadline for California or an application deadline for Florida. Um, the counselors can help with that. So, and and filling out your personal statement is a lot of times a, one of the assignments in a twelfth grade English class, and because mm. that's a requirement for one of the applications, I think. Ooh, I want to jump in <laughs> I, here. Having never gone through it, can I? Uh, I want to jump in. Uh, sure. Joel, do you read any of the applications, like personal statements, stuff like that? Um, you know, we don't. We don't necessarily do that. We. Um, we do it for the students primarily who do not meet the admission requirements, but there is a place on the application for personal statement. So the director of admission and the enrollment counselors will look at those. If they do not meet the requirement, then I will take a look at those personally, and we have an admissions committee that will, will look at those. Um, but that's a good point. Uh, in any of those, even for scholarship applications, writing those good personal statements will go a long way. So it's not just an exercise for that admissions application. And that's part of our job too, is to make sure they're aware of those deadlines. Um, some of the scholarships that do have more requirements than just the application, there might be a simple essay. Some are a much more involved essay. So yeah, you know, for some students, particularly those that don't meet the admission requirement, that personnel, personal statement is important because you learn a lot about the student that maybe they didn't even reveal to the admissions counselor or the motivation that might be there to, um, 
indicate that they could be successful in college, that it's not just the test scores and it's not just the high school curriculum that they had? I was thinking specifically of when I, in my previous institution as an advisor, I saw all my advisees for their entire file and they used the Common App and had a personal essay that they wrote. Many of my advisees chose to write, write about overcoming an obstacle. Some of them were really trite. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> meaning that like I'm reading this essay is like, this is not a real obstacle. This is not a real difficulty. You know, you did some problem solving. Uh, okay, but you know, you you're not really showing yourself to best advantage, and I think. Yeah, but, but the uh, you know, I'm an example of white privilege is not a good essay, though. <laughs> Did you say sell. an example of white privilege? So, I'm just saying, like, if my obstacle is I had to deal with white privilege, that oh. that, that doesn't scale at admissions. I'd, I'd overcome my privilege. Yeah. 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 You know, and it's all in their perspective, and certainly institutions that are more competitive admission. Um, that's going to be important, but it's really going to be the whole person, mm -hmm. and that's important in the scholarship arena as well. So, as somebody who is like running the show in terms of our admissions, it sounds very important, oh, doesn't it? Ooh. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, you you are captain of the admissions ship. Uh huh. I was thinking ringmaster. Ringmaster. Ring, sure. Yeah. yeah. Ringmaster. Vice president of ring chaos master. some days. <laughs> yes. but, okay. Um, do they actually need to be in every single? flipping extracurricular? Oh, you mean on their, like in high school, do they need to pad their high school resume in order to get into college? With all this ridiculous stuff? You know, it's that that's kind of a debate that's out there right now because for some schools, it still is a way that they're weeding out, reading off their students. In most of the schools I've been have not been competitive admission. So um, I would say no. And as a parent who sent three, three students to school, to colleges at various places around the country, um, I would say no, but it did become important for certain scholarship. Mm. There it did. did. But again, it's really, again, that individual student. So um, for example, I have a, a daughter who is in college for architecture, and she was involved in theater and did some design, set design, whatever, but when it came to her senior year, on certain, even on the application for admission to this architectural school and it was just to get into the university it wasn't to the program at this point they wanted all kinds of things in her portfolio and she's like uh cool. you know she did an internship with a, an architecture firm as part of her high school curriculum but she was like whoa i i hadn't thought about that so i think it's a fair question and working with school counselors or even working with from the people who are giving scholarships or giving admission, how realistic is it if you're trying to diversify your population, first of all? Because not every student, first of all, has the means mm -hmm. or the opportunity to participate in everything. Yeah. So um, you, are, you are privileging privilege. Yeah, you know, if you look at it that way. So, you know, from my standpoint, particularly if a student didn't meet admissions requirements, well, why didn't they meet them? Well, perhaps it's because they were having to hold a job because they also were providing for their family. Mm -hmm. So they couldn't be in activities to the same degree. Mm -hmm. um, then there are those students that all they did was, let's just say maybe fine arts, or all they did was athletics. They didn't do anything in the community. So again, I think, is it important? 
again, depending on the situation, but I think you have to look at each situation because there might be a reason that a student wasn't able to participate. So they didn't, shouldn't necessarily be penalized for that, particularly in the admissions process. But I understand where sometimes scholarships are based on performance or, or things like that. But yeah, for, for some students, if all they're doing is participating and they're not really understanding why they're participating, it's just to put it on a resume, mm. I think it defeats the purpose of why you are involved in the activity to begin with. So, Drew, since I went to high school, I think we figured out almost 20 years ago. Yes. <laughs> just a baby. <laughs> last week. Um, is this still a thing? I mean, it's certainly, and you have the view for like the California uh, UC and state systems. Is that, is it still sort of like must get all the things on, on the resume? It, it, it really is. I mean, I think that the students are... The students that I've talked with, which is a small sample, you know, are still, they're aware. They're very much aware. And at the same time, they're also, I think, pretty realistic about what they're able to do. You know, there are people who do a, a single season sport, you know, football or cheer or whatever, and then they find something to do spring term to specifically to put on their college apps. Hmm. You know, hey, I'm going to join the diving because that's a spring sport, even though I'm, I'm it's, it's not a super passionate thing, but just to fill out the, the roster kind of thing. So they, there are still people doing it. I don't think it's a, near as extreme as I thought it would be, you know, as, as far as just people double scheduling bonkers uh, every single activity um, and then also volunteering at the homeless shelter just to pad it up. I don't think that it's at that level, but people are conscious of, you know, not having – uh, downtime on their resume, on their college resume, as it were. So, you know, summertime, they'll go volunteer and they'll be able to put that on or really just being conscious and keeping track of everything that's happening. Yeah, I sing in the in the choir at my church and I do this and this and this rather than they don't want to just say on their, they're very, I think the students are very conscious of saying I'm a football player, done, period. You know, they, they want to show a real, because so many, like even if you want to go to, uh, you know, California State, Sacramento, they they only have so many undergraduate spots, and this is one of the larger states of you know human beings to, to serve. So they can be selective uh, over who they ad admit. Mm -hmm. So standing out, not to, everybody's got a 4.0 that, that applies to UC Davis and UC Berkeley. You, you have to have something else. Well, I think a lot of schools, too, now at the college level, service learning yeah. was really the buzzword, and it, it continues, and I think it, it, it continues to grow. Private schools have been doing a component of service learning or volunteering almost since the dawn of time because that's what they were founded upon. Um, for, for many state schools, that all of a sudden it was like, oh, we've discovered service learning. Yeah. Uh, wow, you know, we're going to volunteer and we're going to mobilize in our communities. That's a great thing, but it also kind of was a force of the feds to, to do that. Um, but with that, again, should come some reflection, in my opinion, of why are you doing that? Because then when they come to your campuses, you hope that that carries on and, and you have a vibrant and growing and exciting campus because of that spirit of giving back and volunteering. And then eventually it grows within their communities. Either if they stay in the community, they go to school, or they go back home, or they go to another community. So I, I think it's a good thing, 
but I think it also needs to be something that the students understand why are you doing it. You know, when the Higher Learning Commission comes in and they, they talk to you about what are your students doing and how are you giving back to the community and why are you meaningful to the community um, in the Midwest, and when you can show them examples of that, time and time again, I've been in those situations where they'll come back and say, you've got a great volunteer program. It's wonderful. Your students don't understand why they're doing it. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's the right. same way even at the high school level to say, well, I got to do it because I got to put it on my resume or my application. Great reason to do it, but do you really understand the meaning behind why you're doing it and the difference you're making and, and why that is a life skill that you want to continue on? Is this something you can write about in that personal statement? Yeah, exactly. Test? Yeah, exactly. It, it should It should be... A, a loop you can close. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to circle back around a little bit to your interactions with students and but focus more on current students. Mm -hmm. So do you personally have any interaction with our students on campus or is it like we get them in the door and then they just sort of like run off yeah, and do whatever? No, you know, um, no. Even though you have to kind of always are looking to the next class or the next two years class, uh, between students that are either work-study or work within the offices, um, being in financial aid, they always need financial aid, so they come through the office uh, throughout their, their years. Um, the other thing is we have students we utilize as, as tour guides, mm -hmm. so um, they are our best ambassadors. Um, you know, we also are instigating programs where we want them to take materials back home so, you know, carry it home and help recruit younger siblings, uh, other people in their hometown. Uh, if they're from another country, it's cheaper when they go home to send them materials and give them a free shirt to wear uh, to help us recruit. So, no, because um, you spend a lot of time, 18 months to two years with a student to get them to enroll. Uh, you do develop those relationships and those bonds. And so when they do decide they're going to perhaps leave or not come back or they decide they aren't going to come, it, it's easy to take that personally because you do have that relationship. But you also hope that the relationship is such that if they do have to quote unquote break up with you, uh, that it, there are no hard feelings, right? Mm -hmm. That you can always come back together. But no, um, to me, interacting with the current students is, is really even the most fun because they're already here and you can yeah. say, so, you know, did, did, we, did we sell you a bill of goods or is this what you thought it would be? Uh, because that helps us make our, our next year's recruitment even better. And so when they come in to work, do they understand, I mean, what it is that you do and, and that your office does? Or, or is there some period in which they're kind of running all the hither and yon and not really understanding, like, the whole point you of You know, I, I think they understand it because they were in the system. Uh, once in a while, I, I've been in situations where I have to remind students not to wear another school's uh, garb. Um, and that's just, I think, you know, when I was at a school where we had um, an amnesty day, and we said, if you bring in another school's clothing, we will trade it out for our school's shirt, and we'll take what you give us to the homeless shelter or whatever. You know, um, so you do those kinds of things. But I think the work that we do in our office is we do still mailings, um, we do phone calling. So there are still those things that they they can see. We have a, a bank of student callers. 
with scripts and so they really understand here's your script for tonight here's what we're trying to get you to do make contact get them to come to campus for a visit or do financial aid whatever that particular topic is so i'd like to think that they understand how important their work is to us including current students you know um, when you see a visitor on campus saying hello and welcome and can i help you find you look lost and where are you from and and all of that starts to set the tone for students and again that going back to facts tell emotions sell when they walk around and say god you know our tour guide knew everybody well maybe not but they said hello <laughs> uh or it just seemed like they said hello to everybody by name either they're wearing a name tag or they re they really do know the the people on campus so that has an impression on the students and we try to emulate that within the office too how we treat students, how we treat each other, how we answer the phone, mm -hmm. all of that. Um, putting on Facebook, making sure things are grammatically correct and spelling is correct and all those things. Sometimes they look at you like, you know, really? Yes, really. You know, if this is going to be an institution of higher education, we're going to emulate that we know what we're doing. So <laughs> we try anyway. <sighs> Sometimes, not you. <laughs> I sent out an email that had like a big old typo in it. I was like, well, whatever. <laughs> so, Melody or Drew, do you have um, questions? I mean, I have another thing I was going to ask about, but I've been hogging all the conversation. So, I just am flashing back to my, I don't think I really had a college plan, which maybe sounds like I'm not a planner. Um, and so, I started filling out applications. I think it was the beginning of my senior year. I had never seen a college application until I filled one out. Um, and granted, this was, you know, back whenever you sent first stuff in the mail and they sent you like a packet mm -hmm. and do things mm -hmm. online. But I was just thinking in terms of like your daughter at the architecture school or maybe some of those kids who are trying to round out their common app or their other applications, just going and taking a look at those applications ahead of time just to kind of see what are they expecting what kinds of things might you know what i mean so sure yeah if you like a junior in high school or younger yeah even sophomore you know there's there's a lot of schools tend to work with the seniors because obviously that is where the resources are spent um it's almost too late you know uh, many schools are also finding it's almost too late you need to start those relationships freshman sophomore year Fortunately, we just don't always have the resources to do that. So it's a matter of really looking at the resources and how we allocate those. Um, I would certainly encourage people to do that. Now, it gets to be a little tricky because sometimes you can't do that without giving them your information. <laughs> but that's not always a bad thing because that's how you begin the discernment process. And it doesn't cost you anything mm -hmm. to go out there and before you do spend money on applications, and some are very spendy for a reason, they're trying to see who is serious about making the, the effort to do the application. Um, go out there and look at it. You know, even the Common App, when you do the Common App, um, schools can pick and choose other pieces they wanna add to it. Mm -hmm. And it does take time. It, you know, even uh, back to my daughter, because my sons, I don't remember doing the Common App, but my daughter will be like, God, I went through this. I, I filled this all in, and now I got to do this part too. And she ended up getting frustrated and said, forget that. I'm going to go to the school. That's not going to be as much headache. Now, take, take or leave that. For some, you want to say, okay, be persistent. Well, if they really want to be somewhere, they'll probably be persistent. 
but the student today will say, what's in this for me? You know, you've already asked me this. Why are you asking this? Yeah, I know. You know, you can look at it and go, it's college work, but at the same time, uh, I'll just be the reality check. You know, the students that we're dealing with today were born in 2001 and 2002. <clears throat> and they are used to instantaneous, you know, on their phone. If they can't do it on the phone or really quick on a tablet or iPad or whatever, they're going to give up. So while we need to get the information from them, we also need to understand that it's very competitive. And if they feel like, I already gave that information to a school, why am I having to give it again? Especially on the Common App, that's the whole point of saying the Common App is supposed to save you time and effort. It doesn't necessarily save you money um, as a Common App school. Uh, it, those are the things that we're up against. So back to your, your thought about, you know, look at applications, absolutely. Because if, it, if they all want that killer essay, they're all asking for a 500 word essay on why this, you wanna be here, you're gonna be successful. You wanna know that up front, right? So you can write, the, write that really good essay. Please write the essay up front. Yeah, write the essay. Please and don't open the and app and start typing the No, essay. write the essay. Have somebody you trust look at it, you know? Um, revise it. Revise it, give yourself time. So that's why it's important to start that process as soon as possible. Uh, would I say that students wait until you know the summer before they're going to enroll? Uh, there are some who do, but wow. I would not advise that. Yeah. I would not advise that, no, because it's just not the formula for success. Drew, did you have anything, any thoughts that uh, had come up? Uh, I don't know. All my, my questions for admissions are, are probably not for our podcast. I have kind of some nitty-gritty questions. I don't know. I mean, well, give it a shot. I can always pull them out. <laughs> okay, well, feel free to, to uh, edit out then. I don't know, so do, do you have like a, um, it sounds like either like a football recruiter kind of position or like, um, it, I guess my question is like how important to the growth, uh, which begs the question, is growth a really driving force at the university? And how important is this is the enrollment position to the growth of the university? And like, do you have quotas? I mean, what? It, it sounds like it's a real sales pitch. You know, you know what it, I mean? Yeah, you know, that's a fair question. Um, let's just say back to my comment about sometimes you also have to help the student discern this isn't the right place for them. Um, that's the difference between the kind of sales we do and say commercial sales. And for our friends who are in the for-profit world, and certainly higher education um, has entered into the for-profit world, I know admissions people who have worked in the for-profit, and it is a quota, no question. We don't have quotas as much as we have goals that we want to try to reach. So for example, yes, there is a budgetary goal that we have, and it's important to reach that so that we can provide outstanding academics and people like to get paid and the lights need to stay on. But our staff is not paid a commission, nor are they paid per head. And that's a very important distinction between the for-profit and the non-profit. We're here by a, our, our standard of ethics, our code of ethics through our National Association of College Admissions Counselors, that we are here to provide information to the student to make the best choice possible for them. It is not for us to make money. 
So in other words, yes, we have a goal we have to meet, but the incentive for the reps is not make that goal and you're gonna get a bonus. That's not what it's about. It's about helping the student make the decision. So um, from an administrative standpoint, we sit down and look at what do we have to do to retain students? Where do we need to be to recruit? Where do our programs need to grow? But it's not, and oh, by the way, if you get that, you're gonna get a bonus. We hope that we're successful so that as a campus, people can get raises and there can be improvements in facilities and things like that. But it's not, you know, you get so much per head. That's just not what we do. I will say also from having worked at another institution, and I'm sure Joe Owen, you'll notice this as well, is that unless you are a major flagship, like big name, like your Harvards, your Stanfords, your MITs, who will never have to worry about enrollment because everyone's like beating down their door just to get an application in and then never hear from them again. Everyone else is, since the Great Recession and then tailing after that, is like, we need people. Absolutely. I think for almost all colleges and universities, enrollments went down. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't think everyone has recovered from where we were sort of at the heyday of just having to turn students away because everybody and their, and their brother was going to college and paying full freight. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And, and there was a statistic here in the last couple of weeks somebody had given to me. It's like 32 or 34% of the schools in the United States made their goals this last year of the colleges. So, yeah. so very only, high percentage are struggling for enrollment. So two-thirds of the institutions are right. not enrolling at the levels that they want to be enrolled that's at. That's correct. You know, and sometimes that can be uh, they just missed the mark. You know, and sometimes it can be a fairly large percentage. And we are a small school, and that means that even being 20 students lower than our target enrollment is actually pretty close to 10% of our ideal enrollment. Sure, you know, it's, that's it's where like you really 8% see or something. everybody counts, as they, yeah. <laughs> as they say. So um, while it, it can be difficult sometimes to say, oh, we had, all, you know, we had this pool and we had all these people hanging on there, our job really is to help them make the decision. So when they do say, you know, really I decided a technical school might be better for me or I'm going to wait a year or I'm going to wait six months or whatever, we still try to keep in touch with those that say, I'm going to just delay it. I still am interested. But those that say, no, I, I really, this isn't the right fit for me, we respect that. But know that, say, the door's always open if you decide not to. But... There are just so many choices out there for students today, too. It's very, very competitive, mm-hmm. um, whether it's online or whether it is um, part-time or a technical school or whatever. Um, it, it really is an individual decision. Any other awesome, hard questions, Drew? Hmm. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one. I'm glad yeah. you asked that. One of the things that I noticed that you mentioned was, you know, having contact with a with a student for 18 months two years before they actually enroll uh i don't remember that happening when i went to college probably because you filled out your application the fall you know you probably didn't have enough i don't people were not searching me out in terms of like giving me calls and like soliciting my application were you sending your test scores to places because i don't think i I I did i don't think i did yeah you know i've been in higher ed on and off for about 25 years and i would say that this level of interface is probably within the last 15 years, maybe. 
Yeah, because, you know, there, it was still letters, uh, email was still, you know, just kind of coming into its own. And, and, and really for some schools, particularly larger schools, um, there was a shift of, oh, everybody's electronic. So they threw out all the publications or they threw out calling students. It, we'll just do it all email. And consultants came in and said, what were you people thinking? You know, that it has to be an integrated approach it has to be an individual to the student. So don't be texting the student or emailing that student until you have a relationship with them, mm -hmm. right? Because otherwise, how do you know that you're giving them the right message? So the messages are much more targeted now. Um, it, it's, it's an integrated approach. It's not just sending out 20,000 letters and hope that one of them sticks. It used to be you sent out a letter and you kept sending an application with it until they would apply. And then you went, oh, okay, now I can move you along here and you get into my call list or come for a visit or whatever. It's a much, it, it, we talk about a funnel. I like to even think of it more of a stream because they come in and out at different times. You might, you might first hear of a student when you get an application online. Mm -hmm. That might be the first. It wasn't they sent a test score or a transcript or, they, or uh, you bought their name. It was they found you online. And that's what's changed probably in the last 20 to 25 years is they're ruling you out before you even know they were looking at you because of all of the accessibility to the, the online. How do you buy names? Yeah. Okay, so there are some research, there are college research firms out there. Um, and at the high school level, you know, they participate in, in different ways. It depends on the state, but uh, there's some national research firms out there that do um, polling, testing, those kinds of things that retrieve that data from high schools across the country. Um, also, ACT has uh, an SAT, College Board. They have services that are available that you can purchase names based on criterion. So if you want um, ACTs within a certain score range, certain majors, uh, certain religious-based uh, institutions, that's how you can do it. So you partner with uh, ACT, NRCCUA, College Board, there are a number of services out there that provide access to data from those that you buy cold to those who they have identified that specifically already have indicated an interest in your institution. Mm -hmm. So those are what we would consider our hot leads, hot prospects, so to speak. Um, buying names is, we really try to focus that criteria on regional, uh, those students who fit our admissions criterion, for example, who are looking at a particular size institution, it does no good to buy a whole bunch of names for students who want to go someplace where there's 40,000 students or 25,000 students. So it's really trying to find the students that you think will fit into your um, college culture, size, community, um, all of those parameters. So you can kind of pick and choose. So yeah, we do that a couple times a year. Are you aware of this, Drew? Um, well, sort of. I mean, we, our district is really excited. We have a program that we're connecting freshmen with, and more and you know, juniors and seniors also, but freshmen in particular this year. That it it talks it has them kind of work through career and college um, from that 
from the start of even like an, an interest inventory of what kind of jobs would you prefer and does that job require a degree what kind of degree which schools have that degree mm-hmm. um, so I'm just listening to this conversation and saying aha that company that sold us this, this uh, product is is one of those companies that's gonna sell you names Right. And, and the state of South Dakota has a similar program they've done for a number of years. It's called South Dakota My Life. And more and more schools are, are coming on that. But it's through dual credit. You know, students can do dual high school credit or they can interface with colleges through that portal, uh, that program. And we can get access to that information through the various schools that subscribe to that. So uh, it's all, it really is that networking. And, and as you really do the research, there's a number of companies out there, but they begin to kind of merge and acquire each other. So the number of those institutions become smaller and smaller, mm-hmm. but they're doing the same kinds of products. You know, it's like um, the groups out there that used to do more the name buys and web-based things. Well, then they got in this college textbook realm and then they were bought by somebody else. So, you know, net higher ed is one of those networks that seems large, but when you start to kind of connect the dots, it's a pretty small network. Like journal publishing. Like everything. Yeah. <laughs> right. So it sounds slightly less ominous than buying names. Sounds, <laughs> yeah, sounds super sketchy. Yeah, you know, and, and the thing about it is um, any of the names that are, are in these services, for example, ACT, the student has, has given permission for their name to be shared when they take the test. Same with college boards. Same with any of these... these um, interest inventories or things. So it really isn't cold calling per se. The student at any time can opt out or their parent could opt out and say, no, I don't want, I don't want this information shared. But that's the beauty of, the, of this kind of sales, so to speak, uh, because the student has already indicated an interest. So it's not like telemarketing where you're trying to pick up the phone and, and call them and sell them on something. We prefer to say it, it's more telecounseling because they know that their name is out there, that they have either participated in some kind of a, an event or a college fair or a planning night or planning day or a testing event, and that's how we got the name. So it shouldn't be a huge surprise then when they, they do get a, a, a call or an outreach from us. Hmm. Makes sense. Well, I think we're about out of time <clears throat> for a recording, so as always, a quick recap. Talk to counselors, both in high school and with college that Absolutely. are there to help you find the right spot. You will probably get a feeling if they are not doing it right, mm-hmm. in which case, run, don't walk. Yeah, you, you know, it's all about comfort. Yeah. It's, it's, are they answering your questions? Uh, don't let them do all the talking and just try to sell you on their institution. So, so, but in relationship to that, please ask questions. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because yeah, right. I have students, prospective students all the time meet with me, and they just stare at me. And I'm like, so, do you, you're interested in English? Yes. Well, what about English? I just really like it. Well, there's other, I mean, just, it's like pulling teeth, and mm-hmm. so I feel like I end up doing a lot of talking, but only because I'm like, well, do you have any questions? No, not really. Yeah, so you know how we're like on the phone, so yeah, it's it becomes a kind of that technique to help yeah. get, fill the buckets. As so, we say. so ask questions. Ask questions. Explain why. Lots of my questions in my one on ones are explain. Yeah. <laughs> what is what mm-hmm. is your answer? What did you mean by that? Yeah, and yeah. explain. Uh, so there's and there's 
no wrong interactions? None. No, the, it's, it really should be a process and, and you shouldn't feel pressured as a student. Uh, schools that say, you know, you better send this deposit in or we, we need this application in to, to, to have a spot here right now, you must do. Um, you know, there's deadlines, but you should never feel pressured. And on the financial aid side, never, ever pay for scholarship search services. Ever, ever, never. Um, go to your school. Go to the library. Go on the internet. But do not ever pay for scholarship search services. Uh, because there are people out there that will say, you know, give us 100 bucks and we'll guarantee you that we'll find you $1,000. I guarantee you we can find you $1,000 for free. So just, just don't get sucked into those kinds of things. That's that's free at our high school too. Yeah, every high school <laughs> in the United States it should be free. Yeah. So. so I I think this is one of the rare things where usually we have some advice on how to approach talking to you or your staff, uh, but basically our advice is just talk to them. <laughs> you bet. <laughs> just as, call us or email us. We're here to help. All right. Well, thanks everybody. Uh, you listener, if you have a question for me, you can reach me on Twitter. I'm Dr. Highland, D O C T O R H Y L A N D. Or if you have a longer question or feedback, you can reach me on email, peter.o.highland, H-Y-L-A-N-D, at gmail.com. All right. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye. They can't see you wave. <laughs>